The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide. Uh, this week we welcome back to the, uh, the the Film Guide studio the one and only Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, mate. How are you doing, Danny? I'm, I'm good. So, uh, so we didn't scare you off last time. You, you, you... No, no, I'm back. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've still got the negatives, so I keep coming back. You know. <laughs> and as long as you do, they will never see the the uh, light of day. Thanks, mate. Good. Yeah, that's fine to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the perks of being next to a, a news studio, I tell you. Um, so, uh, what we do on the on the film guide, uh, we look at uh, the guide. So, in this week, we'll look at Howard's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. We will also have a look at. Uh, um, we, we have a, a, a section that changes from week to week, and it's 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 kind of the, the the host's choice, really. And and Howard each month brings us a film that is too good to be forgotten, and we'll be looking at Howard's uh, classic film that uh, that fits that description uh, a bit later as well. And we'll be looking at uh, the new releases on the streaming services. But we start things off with uh, a look at what's new in the cinemas. So uh, Howard, wh- where what are we talking about? There's new and notable. So it's either yeah. a new film or one that one of us has seen that's currently out. Exactly. So we've got a couple of big movies, uh, and one of which I think you have seen. You beat me to it on this one. Um, but I was going to start with the, the blockbuster that has been um, delayed quite a lot because of the situation in the world, and that is uh, Black Widow, which stars Scarlett Johansson as the character. Now, um, you'll either be very familiar with who this character is, or you will never heard of her. It's one of those. Um, this is a Marvel character. This is an Avenger. Uh, Black Widow... Um, Scarlett Johansson has played Black Widow in several uh, Marvel movies. I was completely oblivious until my daughter reached an age where she'd outgrown all of the Disney stuff. And I thought, maybe she'd like this Iron Man thing. And then, you know, 13 movies later, <laughs> I was very familiar with all of them, having sat through them with her. Um, Marvel have um, gone down a route of... They went right through all the Avengers movies and they, and they did a big finale with those, as you're probably aware, and some characters survived and some didn't. But, but no one ever doesn't survive in the Marvel Universe because they either reappear in another dimension or a TV series um, or they're rebooted in some manner. Um, so this is Black Widow's turn for a reboot and it is a prequel. It's an orig- I guess they call it an origin story, don't they? In the, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it looks like a lot of fun. Um, it's got a good cast as well. Florence Pugh plays her kid sister, who's a bit, uh, a bit lippy with her. Um, would you believe the mother, Rachel Weisz, I've reached the age in life where my crushes now play the mums of my, <laughs> my slightly younger crushes. You so, wait, yeah. one of my crushes is in one of your films coming up. Ah, as well. well, there you go. So, yeah, well, I'm definitely showing my age. But, I mean, Rachel Weisz is married to James Bond, to be fair. Yeah. So, you know, she's, uh, she's not exactly ancient, but she plays the mum, and she's always very good. And I believe Rhea Winston is in it, too. And the plot of this one shows how um, the Black Widow character was the daughter of a sleeper agent from the old Soviet Union. So it's set in the late 90s. Um, this guy um, was um, someone they planted in America. He's kind of got superpowers as well, but now he's a bit of an embarrassment because it's in between the old Cold War and, and the new one. So it's not like uh, uh, the, the world is as frosty as it is currently between Russia and America. So um, this guy's been hung out to dry. And uh, yeah, mayhem ensues. The usual um, special effects and uh, funny, funny lines and lots and lots of martial arts and gravity-defying defying stuff like that. I, I guess with this one, if it's anything like the other Marvel movies, it will be entertaining enough for grown-up grown-ups to sit through and for the younger ones to really enjoy as well. So yeah, I mean the thing with the 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 Marvel movies. So, so I mean, it is it is very much a case of like if you, if superhero things aren't really your thing, avoid yeah. it because exactly. you're not going to exactly. like it. Yeah. However. If you don't mind, if you've seen one or two of the others and you mm. think they're right, they are all of a consistently high standard. They are. You know, they, they have are. they have great um, casts. You know, they they have some of the biggest stars. Uh, yeah. You know, around. I, I in, mean, they spend budget on on the acting because every supporting role is played by somebody famous in in these things, and uh, it is like a who's who in films. It's a bit like the Harry Potter films where yeah. you see everybody. You look around, you go, "Oh, that guy's famous. That woman's famous." Yeah. And I do think so. I I did avoid the the whole superhero thing until you know I had to find something new to take uh, to take a young daughter to see and I was sort of pleasantly surprised I mean Iron Man's very witty and there's lots of good lines in the Avengers movies I think they spend quite a bit of time getting the scripts to the point where they're not just uh, it's there's a madman blowing up the world and we have to kill yeah. him or whatever or stop him there's a lot of um, good repartee between the lead roles in this so I'm sure it'll be fun and also I think fans appreciate the continuity 
that they yes. all link together that they they all they have recurring characters across several different movies and sometimes they only pop up briefly but yes, yes. it's it's that um you well, know. well the classic example is agent phil philip phil kilson mm. the, the, the character that again no one ever dies in the marvel cinematic universe he died and was brought back to life for his for his tv series because uh, there was such a demand for him yeah, and, and, and yes, the, the continuity that spreads across the, 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 the cinematic universe, also the television universe, because there's been a lot of different series, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Netflix had a lot of series as well, and, and they, they all overlap, and they all, they're all set in one massive universe. Um, do, you, do you want to guess how many films there have been so far? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I think I guessed about 13 earlier, didn't I? So I was guessing it was around then, but... 23. This, wow. is, this is the 23rd film. So 13 and 23, I wasn't far no. out, was I? <laughs> and there are 15 on their way out. There are oh 15 goodness. being developed at the moment. Well, um, there's the Loki TV series that's just landed and the yeah. One Division thing, which I thought sounded like an absurd concept, but people seem to really like it. Yeah. So what do I know? Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, going to go on forever, isn't it? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there's, there's so many more. There's a, and Later this year, there's um, uh, another Spider-Man film coming out. Um mm. Yes, yeah, so you know these things, and 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 yeah, it's it's just it's it's just huge. It's a, it's a juggernaut. It of, is. I mean, they make they make literally a billion dollars for an Avengers movie, which is astounding. Yeah, so yeah. Just as well they do get that money back because they spend a hell of a lot on it. And it's got to the point now where you <clears> mentioned <throat> the agent, the Avengers, and even people of my age no longer think of a bloke in a bowler hat and an umbrella. Good point. Yes, yeah, Steed. Yeah, the they've himself. changed the, uh, the 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 way we think of that. So. So that's the latest movie from that uh, that that stable. It's uh, Black Widow, starring uh, Scarlett Johansson as a sort of a Russian agent y type thing. Yeah, she yes, she's one of the ones without days, superpowers, yeah. isn't she? Well, I, I always find it a bit baffling because you have these like characters who are almost like gods, like Thor, and, yeah. and Hulk's not far away from being godlike. Yeah, and then you've got a woman who's a really good fighter and a bloke with a bow and arrow. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how they fit. You know, yeah. He never seems to run out of arrows. No, no. But, you know, that's, that's he's just magical. really good with a bow and arrow. That's his superpower. Yeah, so I think, I think they're Hawkeye and, <laughs> and it, Black Widow. They, they, yeah. they seem, and also Iron Man. They don't actually have powers. They just have yeah. skills. Yes, um, true. Or, or suits that cost a great deal of money to put yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, <coughs> Black Widow, word. the long-awaited uh, next uh, entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, should be fun. Is out this week. Um, okay, and then uh, two other films that are out this week. And then one we're going to talk about that came out last week yes. that I went to see. Yes, and you can you can enlighten me because I haven't seen that one. So the next one I was going to mention <coughs> actually was um, I was going to do the French Exit next, which is um, stars a gosh another another crush who's old enough to play mums, Michelle Pfeiffer, who who, pl- who played a mum in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She plays Ant Man's girlfriend's mum. Oh, that's what I missed. <laughs> and, and and you know an, an actress of her calibre yeah. in such a small role. It, I know. You know, it's amazing. Robert it? Redford yeah. was in one of these movies in a small role. You know the the, the calibre right. of the actors that they have in these things. It is amazing. I mean, I was I think Michelle Pfeiffer is a tremendous uh, actor, and she's I mean obviously she's renowned for being beautiful but she's also really really good in virtually everything she does ever since Scarface and um, well, she well, went ever since Grease too. Well, well okay that was an early one on SCV admittedly I, I've I think, never actually seen that I think it was the same year as Scarface <laughs> well, I love about or possibly her. the year before what I love about her level of self-confidence is Grease was massive and then she got Grease too, and it bombed I would have been thinking about my profession at that point, but she yeah. just ploughed on. It didn't hurt her. Well, because no? I think yeah. she'd made Scarface before Grease 2, but right. I think Grease 2 came out first. Ah, okay. And, well, and thankfully for her, that was quite a good film, Scarface. It so. was. It was. And I watched one the other day with, with her in it, again, just to show it to my daughter and say, this is good fun. It's uh, The Witches of Eastwick. Mm. She's really good in that. And the fabulous Baker Boys, she was fabulous in that. Oh, yeah. she. Yeah. Was, I think she won an Oscar for that. Um, oh, I can't remember. Did she? I think yeah, she, she might, might have, have done. done you know? I, think yeah. she, I think she might I do have. remember her lying on the piano singing, but I've forgotten the Oscar award. <laughs> Making <you know>? Whoopi. <laughs> That's the, the one. The song. That's the one. Yeah, but anyway... I, I digress with so my she, crush on Michelle oh, No, I've got it wrong. She's been nominated for three Oscars, but right. she never won. She got nominated for Fabulous Baker Boys, um, and she got nominated for uh, Dangerous Liaisons as well. Oh, that is br- that's a fabulous movie, a really, really good movie. Yeah. I watched that again recently, and it has aged very, very well. John Malkovich in it, and uh, mm. Glenn Close. And Uma Thurman and yes. Keanu Reeves. Very, um, a very young, young Uma Thurman. Yeah. I think it was her second movie yeah. after the Terry Gilliam one that she did, so that's always worth looking at again. Um, so French Exit uh, ordinarily I'd be thinking oh this this looks like my kind of thing but it's a, meant to be a bit surreal it's a bit of a um, kind of avant-garde comedy apparently so the reviews have been a bit mixed now the plot revolves around Michelle Pfeiffer's character being the rich widowed wife of a, a New York City money man 
who's lost all his money. Um, I, I don't explain it too much in advance how he's done it, whether it's whether he cheated everybody or whether it all just went. Um, so she suddenly finds herself broke. Conveniently for her, she has a friend who says, "I've got a really big, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a big apartment in Paris, and it's just empty. Why don't you use that?" So that's kind of handy when you lose all your money and someone lends you a flat in Paris. So with her son, she sets off for a kind of, I guess, a, a middle-aged character's adventure. You know, rediscovering uh, a different world in the romantic backdrop of Paris. But she's incredibly cynical, quite caustic, quite funny. But I'm, I'm having looked at the trailer, I'm wondering whether I would go for 90 minutes or two hours of that, really, even with Michelle Pfeiffer in it. And uh, her acting's been pl- uh, received plaudits, but the film, the reviews have been a bit mixed. Oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say I've seen mm. that she she's been um, very well received yeah. in this movie, um, and uh, yeah, she's uh, been nominated for some awards. Mm. There's an award here she's been nominated for. Uh, it's uh, the she's been nominated for from the Movies for Grown Ups Award uh, as Best Actress. <laughs> so clearly I'm not grown up enough to, to like this. Maybe not, maybe not. But, but, but yeah, yeah. But she's been nominated for that. She, has, she yeah. won a Canadian Screen Award for Best Actress. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this is a very very much um, a uh, sort of a very small independent movie, right. despite having quite yeah. a, a big big actor in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've seen some of her more recent work, and, uh, I, you know, she's still... Really, really good. Those, she, is, yeah. she has, because and it goes to show as well. She has not had the career she's had based just on her looks. Oh, gosh, she, no, she, no, she, no, she no, clearly no. has has a lot of substance to her performances <clears throat> as well. I think so. I mean, I, I you know when I when I started thinking about how to talk about this movie, I thought yes, Michelle Pfeiffer was a crush, and yes, she's absolutely stunning. But by God, she can act. I mean, mm. the stuff she's done over the years that I've really enjoyed. Okay, um, not just for the, just for her looks. So if you're looking yeah. for a film about an old woman who moves into a small flat with a cat, yes. then this is the one for you. Well, you know, bearing in mind last time I, I reviewed a movie that was about a couple of pigs and a chicken, <laughs> and it had no dialogue, <laughs> this is probably less obscure. So you might well like it. You know. Okay, well, give it a try. French it. Exit with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's out now. Uh, so, uh, what's the next film we're talking about? Okay. So, uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Freaky, which um, shouldn't be a movie for grown-ups. And I did think to myself, oh, this is probably not one for me. But then I got, I got a bit. Um, wooed in by the trailer because I thought it looked very funny so this is um, ostensibly it's like a teenage high school horror slasher flick thing where people get killed one by one so yes just like a hundred other movies that have come and gone Uh, but it's more like a a spoof on it because the the hook on this one is that um, Vince Vaughn plays the killer and Catherine Newton a relatively young and up and coming actor from Big Little Lies for example and several other things she plays the, quote, ordinary teenager. But when um, he comes to try and kill her, there is something involving a mystical dagger that um, she, instead of her just dying, she ends up, after the attack, waking up in the serial killer's body, ostensibly. So she's in, she is now the serial killer, but it's her on the inside, not him. And he's got her body. So he, they've swapped, basically. They've body swapped. And um, mayhem ensues, predictable mayhem. Now, of course, um, I thought, well, yeah, daft premise, but let's watch the trailer. Let's see how we think, you know, this is going to go. It has had really good um, reaction from people. And not least of which, because uh, Vince Vaughn, now inside Catherine Newton's body, deals with all the people who've been messing with her at high school in fairly um, (laughs) more blunt and violent ways, (laughs) as you would expect. So people who pick on her and bully her and think it's still her, for example. She, meanwhile, is running around in his body and uh, because, you know, don't ask me why, she has to reverse this within 24 hours or, or it's there forever. She's stuck in this guy's body as the, the wanted serial killer. Um, but, I mean, it, it did, you know, it's daft, but it is funny. There's some quite good set. Check out the trailer if you if you don't believe me. It, is, it does look like a laugh. You see, ordinarily, I'd avoid a film like this, like The Plague, so because I, there's so many of these cheap slasher movies. But this yeah. sounds very interesting. And Vince Vaughn's quite good, and, yeah. and it does sound funny. And, and I found out here as well that the original title for this movie, it was going to be called Freaky Friday the 13th. Yeah. Because it is because a combination of Freaky kind of Friday and Friday the 13th. Well, I think, I and think I believe that. it's set, the, 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 it says here that it takes place on Friday the 13th as well, oh, and right. the days leading up to Friday the 13th. It's almost like built upon, do you remember when the genre started taking the mick out of itself? Because you initially you had things like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, hmm. and they were all very similar. 
And then Scream came along. Yeah. And they started joking about the fact that the kids who have gone off to have sex will be the first to be killed. And, you know, the the, the minor character, he'll be next. And, uh, you know, there's always one survivor. You kind of knew who was going to survive. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's built on that and magnified it somewhat. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's freaky. And that's yeah. also out now uh, in the cinema. Now, the film that came out last week, but I went to see, um, I saw it Saturday morning, in fact. Uh, and it's the next one we're going to talk about. It's Fast and Furious 9. <laughs> now, does it do what it says on the tin? It does, <coughs> and you know what? It, it, this is something that is often said, and it, it does sound like I'm being lazy by saying this. But um, if you like the Fast and Furious films, you're going to love it. Yeah. Exactly. If you've got like more than about eight brain cells, probably not. If you have any understanding of of physics, you're probably not going to like it. So it's definitely a Saturday morning movie because you may have destroyed some brain cells in the pub the night before. Possibly. On the, Friday, you know. the thing is, though, <coughs> if you can suspend the disbelief that you often need to with these movies, then it works. Yeah. You know, it clearly does. If you kind of think, you know what, it's a bit ridiculous, really, that that car can jump onto the back of an aeroplane and then it, it, it propel itself into outer space. It sounds to then hit to a, me. hit a satellite. Sure it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also characters that have previously... This is the ninth film in the saga, not counting the Hobbs and Shaw spin-off that yes. came out uh, a year or two ago with Jason Statham and uh, The Rock. Um, so, that, so it's the tenth film of the franchise, but this yeah. is the ninth of the series. Right. And, yeah, I mean, it, people that you've seen die on screen... Turns out they didn't die. They're oh, back yeah. in this yeah, one. This is, again, this is back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No one ever dies. Yeah. I mean, because it's all about the franchise and it's all yeah. about the money. And you have to deliver deaths of characters every now and again. Otherwise, you think they're all immortal. But how convenient just to bring them back, you know. Well, so, so in one of the earlier Fast and Furious films, they killed a character who they'd only introduced in that film because the principal cast didn't want to come back because they said the script was rubbish. So they brought in new characters, killed one at the end. But it turns out that, that he tested quite well or, or something. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and so they brought him back for three more films. This is very and Phil set, <laughs> and Yeah, and they set those three films before the one that he died in. Oh. And that, so they led up to him dying. And, oh, yeah. And, 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 and yeah, but, that, but then it turns out in this I, one... Uh, I'm, losing, I'm losing track of how many films or TV series I've seen where you go, well, he couldn't have survived that. And it's, ah, but it turns out he faked his own death. To, it was a bit like the Sherlock Holmes TV series where he just fell off a building and you're thinking, well... Yeah. How could he possibly have not died? And then, yeah, oh, he was fine. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's... Suspend your belief and all that. Well, you know? Yeah, pretty much. So, if yeah. you like that sort of thing, great. I mean, I thought Vin Diesel, you know, I've never seen him more wooden, and I've seen him oh. playing a tree, you know, because he... <laughs> He's Groot ah, in the yes. um, Marvel. He's very good in that part, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he limited he, bit of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. He's got an acting Groot. range that goes from A yeah. almost all the way to B. Well done. Um, yeah. But, yeah, well but in, I mean, man, <laughs> he just looks like he's got indigestion all the time. He just has this look on his face. I just think, oh, he needs a. Burp. It's all like eating healthy and working out at the gym. That's why. Yeah, I don't you know. know. You but should never eat healthy. It's bad for you. There's yeah. one bit in it where one of the characters actually says he takes his jacket off and he goes, "Look at all these bullet holes." He says, "I can't believe they didn't hit me." And I'm thinking, "No, neither can no, I." No, neither can I. Because because you just got jacket. shot by like half a dozen people with with all sorts of um, you know I, machine I was, guns. I was randomly thinking about this the other day because I was I think it was was it the James Bond movie I saw where Daniel Craig's running along and it could be any James Bond movie actually. And people are trying to shoot him with machine guns. And the, and the bullets are just hitting the wall that he was at a moment ago. But he just keeps running. And he's faster than the guy firing the Kalashnikov, which from memory does 600 rounds a minute. So that's very fast. But I was also thinking, you know, if you could live in an alternative universe, if you could live in a film universe, just set up a school to teach the bad guys to shoot straight. You know, whether it's the Star Wars dudes who, with their little white helmets who <laughs> never the, hit anything. The Stormtroopers. The Stormtroopers, yeah. exactly. You know, and, uh, and anyone trying to kill James Bond, just, you know, just mm. shoot the guy. Don't put him in a tank and lower him into water filled with piranhas. Just, yeah. you know, don't so, invite him to dinner either before so, killing him. Just no. shoot him. So, so, this, so going back to this film series then, and, and the, the Fast and Furious films, they started out as a thing about illegal drag racing. Very right. low budget, very well made, um, lots of high octane car stunts and quite believable. Um, and and then as it's gone on, it's 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 got overtaken both bigger and bigger budgets, more and more yeah. CGI. Yeah. They are now some sort of like international agents or something. They're not just oh, okay. ca like illegal car racers anymore. Right. And and they offer missions. And yet, as preposterous as it sounds, it's also got a fairly good cast. You've got in it, um, if you ignore most of the, the principal ones who are um, you've got that Charlize <laughs> Theron's in there. She, right. she, and, and you know, she's not really given much to do. No. Uh, Helen Mirren's in there, not given much wow. to do. Kurt Russell's in there, but not given much but, to I mean, do. Imagine you're a 
highly regarded actor and you're always busy and you're doing movies and you might do a movie that gets you, you know a few thousand quid because it's some little independent arty movie and then someone says would you like to be in Fast and Furious 9 for two minutes half a million dollars <laughs> what's not to like it might, yeah. be, might be two days work or something yeah so so, so the reviews on this if, 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 if this is something that, that sounds like it's your cup of tea go and see it and you'll love it you will not be disappointed it'll have everything you want in it but but yeah the, the reviews are either saying it's great it's wonderful best one yet yeah. or it's atrocious and and i can only imagine that that um old uh, newton would be spinning in his grave uh, looking at what they do with physics in I, this movie i can imagine yeah and uh, i would imagine the same reviewers were reviewing the first movie in exactly the same manner <laughs> they want to change their mind in the last nine no no no, so, no. fair enough um and apparently there's one more to go and then they're going to end the franchise and yeah ah, okay. yeah have a little prequel origin story spin-off franchise yeah yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> fast and furious nine is the uh, is 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 out at the moment it's on general release um watch it if you want uh <laughs> <laughs> good advice we'll be back in a moment hi i'm matt adams the heart of the hearts advertiser for over 10 years join me and host danny smith for st albans podcast a weekly look at the news views and reviews of the city and district of st albans as well as our delve into the local stories that matter we regularly cover topics including health food and drink legal matters the theater scene and mental health Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm, and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now to take a look at uh, the new releases on the streaming services, and uh, just one to mention this week, Howard. Yes, that's right. On Amazon Original, um, we're going to talk about our friend. Um, some of the other streaming services have been concentrating on TV releases this week, it seems. But um, our friend um, has one of those. It's actually a movie that probably would have had a cinematic release if it hadn't been for circumstances beyond everybody's control. So it's now being um, premiered on Amazon. And it's an interesting one to talk about because uh, when I first checked it out, I thought, okay, it's a, it's a movie starring Dakota Johnson, Casey Affleck, and Jason Segel. And it is about a couple, so Johnson and Affleck, who discover that um, the wife in the couple has got terminal cancer. And Jason Segel is their family friend, and he realizes that it's going to be a really horrible time for them. And they have kids to look after, so he moves in hence the title Our Friend, to help them in their hour of need. And he gives up a lot. He gives up a job. He gives up um, his home in a different city. It affects his relationship, which eventually ends. So he comes in as part friend, part nurse in a way, and also help them with just general stuff. Now, um, what was particularly interesting about it is it's based on a true story. And when I um, dug a bit deeper on this one, I had really mixed feelings about it because... What what happened? So this happened in real life, and the character that Casey Affleck plays um, is a guy called Matthew Teague, and he went through this horrendous situation with his wife dying, and he wrote what you know after she had passed on, he wrote a, a quite long article for Esquire magazine in America, which I've read, and it's all about what happened and the bits they don't tell you, and it's by no means schmaltzy or. Um, you know, um, it doesn't spare you anything. It tells you quite graphically what happens uh, medically and also mentally to people because also his wife, because of her medication and because of her illness, didn't always appreciate what him and the friend were trying to do for her. She did irrational things and thought they were plotting against her and stuff. So <clears throat> it was a really grim tale. Now, Hollywood took his Esquire article and made a movie that from all evidence of my eyes on the trailer and the reviews I've read, has turned it into a kind of heartwarming story about this selfless friend who moves in uh, while this poor woman is dealing with cancer and ultimately dies, but seems to gloss over all of the bad bits that are mentioned in the article, which was surely the point of the article, if you see what I mean. Mm. He, He didn't want to write a story that said, oh, my beautiful, wonderful wife passed away with her last... You know, and we held her hand in her last breath and it was all very moving while my friend held me and he'd help me with my kids he wanted the warts and all thing in the article and I just kind of wonder how we ended up with a, a story with three people acting a feel good heartwarming tale so that's my note of caution on it really I think if it was fictional fine I suppose yeah 
you know, because it's about, I don't know, friendship and Do you find sometimes, though, that if you don't know something's based on a true story, you can enjoy it more? And then if you find out that it is, and in fact, if, if, well, still, if you know in advance the actual story and then see how far they've deviated, it can kind of ruin the movie. Yes, absolutely. And I think it can work in, in different ways. I mean, I quite often watch a film and then I'll check afterwards how much of it was true and sometimes I'm surprised because I think no way was that true no way did that happen and it did Yeah. but then something like an example that almost ruined the movie for me googling chariots of fire and finding out what happened and what didn't and, and a lot of the best scenes in there either didn't happen or were rewritten quite uh, quite a lot and so what I thought probably did happen didn't but there are other movies that go the other way and with this one it's more the tone of it that I'm a bit wary of and I probably won't sit through that one now knowing what the guy wrote about in the article because it's almost a betrayal in a way I think okay alright well there you go anyway the film uh, that is out uh, now on uh, Amazon Prime is called Our Friend uh, with um, Jason Siegel and um, the, the other ones that you mentioned Casey uh, Affleck Casey Affleck Dakota, Dakota Johnson, Dakota Johnson. Yeah. Uh, all of whom are very watchable and I'm yeah. sure you know if you forget it's a true story maybe you'll Watch it and appreciate it. I did hear that there's a bit inflicted. in the film where where uh, Dakota Johnson has to sing, and apparently she was more nervous about doing that in front of the the casting crew than she was about getting a kit off in uh, the Fifty Shades films. Oh, that's that is funny. Yeah. I mean, I've never yet, uh, never seen an actor yet who can't sing. Yeah. They're all annoyingly good at singing, aren't they? Well, oh, apart from Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> when he did Mamma Mia, <laughs> he wasn't very good at that. Apparently, so. Russell Russell Crowe in Les Mis apparently wasn't that good oh, either. Oh, right. Yeah, I've not yeah. I've not seen that. But, I've not uh, seen that all the way through. Just no. clips. Yeah. There's occasionally when actors aren't great, but that's but a I mean point, they yeah. all normally go to like theatre school so surely they learn how to sing and dance and act it's like when they go on Strictly and they have actors on Strictly I'm thinking it's probably a bit unfair because they've yeah. been trained a little yeah. bit in dance well I, I, I think I mean I don't watch Strictly but didn't Denise Van Outen win it once probably or, or came very close to winning it yeah. but anyway I have seen Denise Van Outen on, in the West End um you know singing and dancing professionally so yeah. surely she's got a bit of an edge over some I don't know large middle-aged newsreader yeah you know? yeah she yeah, <laughs> I mean, bit, uh, yeah cause she would have yeah not only is she you know? like being an actress and being um you know a, a west end star in musical yeah. she's also had a bit of a pop career she definitely would have had some dancing yeah, background absolutely since she was a kid probably yeah, so, yeah. there anyway, you go as usual with you and i we digress yeah but um yeah watch our friend if you want but just be just be cautious that it's based on a real story and i don't wish to ruin it for anybody but i was a bit um as i say conflicted about what they'd done with it the Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. So part three of the Film Guide uh, is the uh, part of the, the show where the host gets to choose what goes on in this bit. And, uh, and Howard has set up a, a feature that he's calling, well, we sort of called between us really, Too Good to Be Forgotten, picking a, a classic film that you absolutely should go and see, but you may not be aware of. That, that's kind of it, isn't yes, it? Yes, and I think, I mean, you came up with a title. It's a very good one because it sums up exactly how I feel about the movies that I'm putting out there. It's just sometimes people don't know them. And uh, it's that classic thing when you're in the pub with a friend and you say, oh, well, you haven't seen that one? And they go, no, i never heard of it, mate. And you, you kind of want them to watch it then, don't you? You want to be ambassadors for these movies that perhaps did quite well financially and did reasonably well critically you know people like them but not everybody know, always knows them okay so what is the film this time around okay this one is called stage beauty never heard of it mate brilliant that's even better than isn't it if you've never heard of it so it's a 2004 movie in terms of style or the way to to, to think imagine what it was a little bit like think shakespeare in love but uh, probably less comedic more gritty Okay. And the plot behind it, it's uh, it's theatrical, so it's set in the time um, of, uh, well, it's post-Shakespeare as in himself, but people are still performing Shakespeare as they are today. But it is in an era where during the reign of Charles II, for, for many years before that, women were not allowed on stage. They weren't allowed to act. And I'm sure you're aware that like the, the, the female parts and the, the you know, the, the, they're usually played by uh, men, but they're also well boys. Actually, they used to try and go for young boys to play female roles because of the voice and everything. Mm, so, like, so, yes, yeah, so a lot of Shakespeare stuff when it was originally performed would yeah. have would have been an all male cast. Um, yes, that's and right. And they would have yeah. used yeah, yeah. young that, boys to play the females. It was kind of considered improper for women to be on the stage. You know, and, uh, so that made some of those Shakespeare things even more confusing when a lot of yeah. it was all about gender swapping anyway. God, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people are disguising, so you'd have men playing women disguising themselves as men yeah you know anyway yeah. Well, i could go on for a while it's like looking at a hole with two two mirrors inside you know <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway this one it features a, a a true life character called kiniston ned kiniston who's played brilliantly by billy crudup 
And the other star of the film is Claire Danes, who's always really, really good in everything she does. How about this for supporting cast? Tom Wilkinson, Rupert Everett, Tom Hollander, Richard Griffiths, Hugh Bonneville, Ben Chaplin, Edward Fox. And, and Alice Eve in there as well. I'm less familiar with Alice Eve. so oh, Sorry, go on. You want to Google Educate Alice me. Eve? She's the daughter of Trevor Eve. Oh, right, yes. It's yes Shoestring yes, and Waking course, the Dead and all that. Yeah, and yeah. she's got, yeah, having a little bit of a career in Hollywood. She was in oh, one of the Star right. Trek movies, the, one of the rebooted ones, the J.J. Abrams. Is she the Bridget and thing, or am I getting mixed up again? Uh, I'm oh, not entirely sure you about... you live. It's ridiculous of me. Yeah, no. Uh, I probably got her mixed up with someone else. She was in so. uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, um, oh. Men in Black 3. Um, she's out of my league. Um, she's done some TV stuff as well. Uh, yeah, she, she's done a lot, lot of, lot of things. Yeah, good genes then, clearly. Yeah, oh, yeah. acting genes. Yeah, know. but um, but yeah. So it's a it's a very um, interesting premise because what happens is so Billy Crudup plays Kiniston, who was the foremost actor actress of his day. So he's the actor that everybody loves playing women. Okay, so he plays Desdemona in Othello. And everybody comes to see him afterwards and they're oh, he's like a celebrity. Well, he is a celebrity, effectively, in this. And he has a dresser, Maria Claire Danes, who would love to be an actor on the stage, but can't. She's not allowed to. So what she does is after watching him, <clears throat> she disappears and does like backroom performances in small venues, not actual theatres, <clears throat> which, um, you know, a lot of people like, but she's not a professional. She hasn't done all the training he's done. And then, without going into a long explanation of what occurs, it all revolves around the fact that Charles II, um, as you probably uh, know from your history, had uh, a mistress called Nell Wynne, who wanted to be on the stage. And they incorporate that as part of a plot point, that he suddenly rules <coughs> that women should be allowed on the stage. Charles II, he apparently changes the law. And all of a sudden, Kiniston is, um, well, he's out of a job, basically. Because although he's an actor, he's been acting as a woman all his life. And so, meanwhile, um, Claire Danes now has potentially got a career, but has never been trained. Now, it's not quite as simple as suggesting that they should get together when he trains her. But ultimately, <clears throat> through various twists and turns, um, there is a bit of that going on, a bit of inter-reaction. Uh, inter but... Kiniston feels totally betrayed because he thinks that she has gone behind his back and uh, um, how can I put it uh, complications ensue before mm. we get to the satisfactory conclusion but what I loved about it was that you actually care so much about these characters and Billy Crudup plays Kiniston, you're never sure if he's straight, gay, bi, whether he feels like a woman, whether he feels like a man but he's been trained from a young boy to do this and for years and years and years and now he portrays a woman but in a realistic theatrical way, but maybe not in a way that Claire Danes identifies with, if you see what I mean, okay. as a woman. Yeah. And it's well worth checking out. It's it's funny in parts, it's very gritty and grim in parts as well, you know. It's not it doesn't gloss over the realities of that world. And so is there a blending here of fact and fiction as well? Yes, Are some there of the is, characters yeah. real and some of them Yeah, um, so so not. she's real. Um uh, I believe she was one of the earliest act actresses and they mention other actresses that come along pretty quickly. So all of a sudden every woman in London who wants to be an actress is auditioning. Uh, but Kinison was a real character. I don't think the the actual story behind Stage Beauty of him suddenly being cast out um, and unable to kind of carry on is based on his absolute life story. But as always with characters of that era, we don't know a lot about them. Okay, <clears throat> it's not as if there's anybody writing biographies of people at the time, no. really. But but just looking down the names of some of the characters, some of them I re recognise from history. So yes. uh, Hugh Bonneville playing Samuel Pepys, exactly. for example. He's, he's really good. He writes everything down. And at one point he's asked, well, why, what do you, what, who do you write that for? And he goes, oh, just myself, just myself. Uh, and, uh, of course, never thinks anyone's ever going to read all this stuff, but they do. Does, does he say yeah. at one point, can you smell burning? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just me. A couple of years down the line. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's, uh, that's your film that is Too Good to Be Forgotten from 2004. It's the film yeah. Stage Beauty. Check it out. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Really, a real gem. Okay. And uh, the poster is in the artwork for this week's podcast episode. More in a moment. I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. 
To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now to take a look at uh, Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week, starting with Friday the 2nd of July. And you're going all the way back to 1965 uh, for your first choice. Yes, even I wasn't born then, and I'm quite I'm getting elderly these days. But yeah, King Rat is my first choice. Um, 1965 movie, as you say. That's on at 9.20 a.m. on Great Movies Action. Um, it's written and directed by Brian Forbes. Uh, great cast, George Siegel is the, the main character in it. Um, supported by James Fox and Tom Courtney. It's set in um, a prison, uh, a Japanese prisoner of war camp, and it is all about the various things that people have to do to survive because the the rate of survival there was one in five in Changi in World War Two, And <clears throat> the reason that um, the writer of the original book knows this is he was in Changi, and it's written by James Clavell, who is probably more famous for writing Shogun, um, but this was a, an earlier, um, well, it's based on his early experiences and an earlier um, adaptation of his book, which I think was two or three years earlier that he wrote it. And George Siegel plays a character who ostensibly is a corporal in the US Army, but almost runs the camp because he knows how to get things. He can bend the rules. He's clever at um, bribing the guards. So he's walking around looking fairly well-groomed and very well fed when everybody else is really struggling and starving and Tom Courtney plays the um, I think the phrase is provost the guy that is trying to keep law and order in the camp from a British perspective and wants to bring him down and James Fox is caught between them and becomes a translator for Siegel um, but also becomes a kind of friend but you're never quite sure of Siegel's motives and you're never quite it's one of those ones where you're never quite sure if you're rooting for him or not um, and what it does explore is the, the dreadful conditions there. And um, James Clavell, um, as I say, was a real-life survivor of that prison camp. And apparently for years afterwards, he used to carry a tin of sardines around his pocket because he couldn't not go anywhere without some food. And he had to resist the urge to scavenge in bins for food because it just he was that traumatised by it. Can you? I mean, it's, oh, it's amazing to think, really. Yeah. And uh, my, my dad was stationed down in Singapore long, long after that, in the, in the 60s, and he told me all about Changi as I was growing up because he was stationed not far from there, and it was a, a horrific place for people to be based in or uh, imprisoned in. Okay. But it's a, it's a cracking movie, uh, black and white, um, 60s movie that uh, is one of those ones that is a little bit forgotten, I think. Okay, yeah, and a good cast as well, as you mentioned there, George Siegel, yeah. Tom Courtney, James Fox, so yeah, co- Fox, covering yeah. all the foxes, it seems. Yes, in well, I mean, can you can you throw a stone without hitting an acting <laughs> member of the Fox family these days? There's a lot of them. I think <laughs> Freddie Fox is related as well, and he's very good these days. There's one that deserves that, a lot of <clears throat> yes, stones thrown there. There's one well. who's probably not going to do any more acting for a no. while, I should imagine. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Denham Elliott's in this as well, John Mills, Leonard yeah. Rossiter. I know. Uh, or Rigsby himself. Uh, so. It's funny, Leonard Rossiter used to do quite a few movies in the 60s before he switched to TV and became the leading man in those sitcoms that he yeah. did. But he did quite, he was in 2001, wasn't he? Yes, for example, yeah. weirdly, and uh, others. Yeah. Okay, so that's King Rat. That's yes. uh, Friday the second of July, nine twenty a.m. on Great Movies Action. Yeah. Uh, so we move to Saturday the third of July, um, yeah. four forty p.m. Actually, a.m. This is, this is, is for it? insomniacs, ah. shift workers, or people with clever devices that record. Films. I thought this might be. Oh, so, yeah. I, I do apologise. Um, no, it's all right. I was. I, I admit on this one, I almost gave up. I was scrolling along looking for a classic old movie. Uh, and I just found one that, that is a good movie. It's called Vertical Limit. Um, it's around 20 years old. I say around because I forgot to write down the, the year it came out, but it's approximately 20 years old. <clears throat> and it's, um, I think, one of the reasons it's so good, it's directed by Martin Campbell, mm. who was the, the, the go-to man when you're relaunching Bond because he did the first one for Pierce Brosnan, GoldenEye, which was very, very good. And he also directed Casino Royale, which was Daniel Craig's first um, Bond, so he's the safe pair of hands, but he also delivers a really well-directed action movie. But also, do you remember the TV series in yes. the eighties, um, Edge, Edge of Darkness? Yeah, Edge of Darkness. Uh, he directed yeah. not only the BBC 
um, TV series. He directed the movie version with Mel Gibson, although she's Oh, later. I didn't realize he'd done both. Yeah. I know he'd done the TV series, and uh, I almost wrote that down, but then I thought maybe not everyone would remember it, but then do, do you I a, do, you do, so that's Do you want to have a guess on when Vertical Limit came out? Oh, gosh, you put me on the... I'm going to say 2001. You are very close. It's 2000. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's fair. That's um, that's not too far off. Then it's not quite as bad as my guessing how many Marvel movies. No, and uh, falling way, way short. But, but um, Vertical Limit is one um, that appealed to me, uh, like any really well directed movie about something I would never do in real life: climbing a very high mountain. I have some sort of fascination with this because I get vertical climbing a ladder. But that movie Everest, I thought was incredible. I watched um, Free Solo, the one about the guy who um, climbs without ropes and he goes all the way up the uh, you know, 3,000 metre cliff face. Um, and even though I knew he got through it, I thought he was going to fall at every point. My palms got sweaty in the cinema. When I first saw Vertical Limit was up there, I got it confused with an old Sylvester Stallone movie about... Uh, oh, yeah, it came out only a couple mm, of years before, Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, yes. And I thought that's what it was. And then I checked on it. And uh, it turned out it was, um, yeah, Vertical um, Vertical Limit is a different um, movie altogether. And that is, it features Chris O'Donnell, Bill Paxton, and the brilliant Scott Glenn. Um, and yeah, ably directed by Martin Campbell. They, they Basically, the plot all revolves around, there's a, there's a rescue mission to, to save people who are p- potentially already dead. They're up, you know, the top of the mountain. And uh, that is all you need to know, except... Have a look on YouTube at the opening scene of Vertical Limit, because it's a it's a knuckle, white knuckle ride in itself. And also, and this is where this is a great example of something I was saying to somebody recently about the Fast and Furious films. That one of the things I find so boring about those films is that you're watching it and you're thinking, yeah, but no one's doing that. That's all computer generated. Yeah. You know, this is of an era where there was a little bit of CGI around, yeah. but but not much. You know, they, no. they, they didn't have the technology to fake it. It, it would looks, have looked too fake It otherwise. does look more real, and, I, and I, I do appreciate CGI in things like an Avengers movie. You've got to have it. But, but when you've got something where you think, actually, that guy really did drop quite a long way off a cliff, hanging on hmm. to a rope and swinging himself back and forth, and it looks real, that, that does... Yeah. Add to your sense of. They, um, they did have a technology that back in those days because there was a. I saw a picture of Sylvester Stallone from Cliffhanger where he's hanging off of the edge of a precipice with one hand, looking all macho and heroic, and then and then that's the doctored picture from the movie. <laughs> the actual picture, he's got hundreds of harnesses and cables all over him yeah. to hold him in place. So they had the technology to hide some of the safety True. stuff. Yeah, but <clears throat> if you can see, if you see somebody falling down the side of a mountain or yeah, yeah. You know, someone did it. And, oh, and and that's yes, what absolutely. I and so these things are real white knuckle rides compared to a Fast and Furious film. Yes, exactly. And I just thought it's uh, it, I'm from memory it was a good thriller. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I thought, oh yes, I remember that. Um, I, once I'd realised I got it confused with the Stallone thing and thought, ah, yeah, no, I saw that as well. Hmm. Partly due to my obsession with looking at stuff that I would never want to do in, in real life. I think the Stallone one as well was slightly more violent. Yes, you know, that, that was all about criminals and yeah, there terrorists, was some shooting and in it and stuff. And, 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 yeah, there is a similar opening scenario in both of them that involves people you know you you think oh they're going to get out of this and they perhaps don't and people fall to their deaths and everybody has to live with the consequences so i think that explains my confusion until i actually google it and rather okay. ah, yes that one but and, that's uh, um but that, the film is vertical limit from the year 2000 and it's on at 3 40 a.m on a uh, great movies and that's that's saturday's choice but technically it's into the wee small hours of yes, sunday it is, morning yeah so that's uh, vertical uh, vertical limit yeah. that's on uh, 3 40 a.m in the wee small hours of sunday morning uh on great movies uh and uh, yes set your recording device for that Indeed. so let's move to your choice for sunday yeah i even a few months ago i would not have chosen a michael beer film as something to watch but i watched this one it's called 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. It's on fairly late, but not quite as late as my last one, 2.15 a.m. on Channel 4. And um, I ended up watching it for research, and that's what got me into the the, 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 the movie. But also, um, it's, so let me explain. It's set in Libya in 2012, and it's the story of um, the, well, the murder, effectively, of the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, Christopher Stevens, when his compound was overrun by effectively al-Qaeda insurgents. And that is something that was in the news a lot because Hillary Clinton got some blame and the Republicans kind of cashed in on that for the election and Donald Trump banged on about it a lot. So we've all kind of heard of that, that, that backstory. 
and it's one of the rare occasions of a, of a foreign ambassador, um, certainly a US ambassador, being um, uh, killed by you know, insurgents, terrorists, whatever you want to call them. Now, the story centers on partly that part, but there was another compound just up the road in Benghazi called the Annex that was a CIA compound. It had quite a few people in it, and it was being guarded by half a dozen of these um, military contractors, you would call them, effectively, but they're former SEALs and Delta Force and former Marines and people like that. And they had to dig in. Um, first of all, they tried to rescue the ambassador, but it just didn't go anything like according to plan because there were too few of them and they were too late and it wasn't their fault. They had to retreat to the annex and dig in. And um, at one point, you think there's no way they're going to make this because the overwhelming odds. Now, Michael Bay normally is known for doing overblown stuff kind of sentimental stuff as well lots of special effects but he doesn't have to with this and it's his it has been described as his most mature work and um, the reason it struck a chord with me is that I'm currently writing a non-fiction book with a guy who was out in Libya in, in Tripoli and he was a former soldier who was also working as a military contractor and at one point he was stranded in a compound that was also surrounded and they reached the stage where they were looking at one another going Right, we're going to run out of ammo soon. Um, who's going to kill who? Uh, you've got to shoot me. No, 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 you shoot me because I don't want to be the last guy. Imagine that. <laughs> I can't imagine it. It's uh, it's mind-boggling. And he, when I first spoke to him, said, if you want an idea of what it was like, watch 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. And I did. And it was, again, it was palm-sweating stuff. It was uh, remarkable to think you're surrounded by so many people and attempting to see them off okay now i'm i'm quite surprised really that i've not heard of this film before um so mm. it's from 2016 uh and you know michael bay a fairly big director and, and yeah. quite a good cast as well but but no it's completely passed me by so this this does look interesting um looking down the cast as well you've got john krasinski who yes more, who we talked about last time the yeah, quiet place yeah. Yeah, yeah um and and also on tv on on amazon uh he's the star of the jack ryan series that, yes. that they're doing on there now that's right um yeah. so uh yeah he, he's in there um and you've got uh just trying to look there's some other names uh toby stevens is in there uh the british actor toby stevens is in it and also um i noticed a, a surname i recognize that uh, pablo schreiber who is the half-brother of liv schreiber oh right oh i didn't realize that um so uh, so yeah there you go those that's the cast that's 13 hours and uh that's on sunday well i'm guessing possibly technically the wee small hours of yes, monday that's morning. another early hours so, one for some reason these movies are dropping into the middle of the night this is why we don't get to always know them yeah. <laughs> but but people have devices to catch they up do. on this sort of yes. stuff young people have devices to record things i understand yes. so that's good <laughs> then get out a vhs tape they can check what was on it or even or even go online these days i believe and find things but uh, yes yeah, so i should imagine it's on channel 4 whenever you want to stream it but technically it's the sunday night choice yeah so uh that's um yeah that's the film 13 hours uh 2 15 a.m on the, to the wee small hours of uh monday the uh, 5th of july but uh but I, it's our sunday I'm but it's cheating. a sunday it's choice, sunday choice no, no 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 yeah. that still counts as a, that, <coughs> yeah. that counts no, as far as we're so. concerned that's a sunday choice so yeah. um you know that's good uh Okay, so um, let's move to Monday, the 5th of July, and uh, you have gone with... Yeah, a movie you might have heard of. Uh, it's, uh, it's called The Bourne Identity. I think most people would have heard of that one. It's the first in the five-movie franchise, because I guess that does qualify as a franchise. And uh, where it all began, uh, Matt Damon suddenly um, switching out of his usual characters to play this... I guess um, assassin stroke agent who's trained to kill and then well we don't really know what he is because he wakes no, we up with beginning. amnesia yes, doesn't that's he? right so that's the whole point of it he has no memory but he has all these amazing skills that just sort of click in so if someone pulls a gun on him he just disarms them effortlessly and then thinks yeah. wow how did I do that yeah. which is quite useful but it, but it was against type at the time I mean I, I remember thinking what odd casting and uh, you know Matt Damon's playing this but he did it very well and uh, the, the movie's you know it basically follows him on his quest to find out who he is and, and I suppose also why he is you know mm. what, what caused anyone to create this guy who's got all these incredible skills who can you know do all the he can remember all the license plates of every car in the street <coughs> he can beat up several people at, at once <coughs> he can keep his voice when I'm losing mine for example and um, yeah it became incredibly popular very successful and spawned four sequels yeah um, gr- great uh, 
<laughs> so we're trying Sorry. to coordinate um, coughing I'm, with sliders. I'm slowly dying yeah. <laughs> in the background for oh some dear. reason. We'll, we'll get tested yeah. as soon as we're done here. It's not that kind of cough, I assure you. Yeah. I'm just losing my voice. But anyway, yes, uh, so the, the, the Bourne Identity, I mean, the, a cracking film. It um, is, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the, the, the backdrop as well, setting it in Europe and, and yeah. the way that, that they use those sort of rainy European streets and he's running around and yeah. he's driving like and little cars. he's got Franca Portent, I think is her name, that was in uh, Run Lola Run is the sort of I hesitate to use the phrase love interest, you know, but the she, potential girlfriend. He kind of hijacks her and her car and says, "Drive me to I think it's Paris or um, yeah, Franca Potente." Franca Potente. Thank you. I'm glad you pronounced it correctly because I was guessing. Um, but it's also got Chris Cooper in it, who's always really good. Clive Owens in it. Brian Cox is in it. Um, Julia Stiles is in it. She's she's in it every every time, isn't she? I think mm. every Bourne film virtually until. Well, until she eventually it's got one of my favourite actors who, who has such a small part in it his character doesn't even have a name but Walton Goggins who was in The oh. Shield and then was the main protagonist in a series that was called Justified that was on for a number of oh, years right. I'm, and I'm recently with Walton. has been in two um, Tarantino did two westerns and he was in both of them oh. um, and uh, he's, he's a really good character actor uh, if you saw his picture you'd think oh him you'd know who he was I will be googling but it he, when he I get home he played research tech so brilliant very, very small part <laughs> but uh, but yeah it, it was it was uh, you know gr- cracking little thriller uh, and, yes. and and it kind of gave a kick up the bottom I think to the Bond films what it did and also what you notice when you see um, Casino Royale when that came out not long after the fighting was very reminiscent of the Bourne movies it was much more martial arts orientated and much more vicious looking but yeah it was, it was gritty and realistic <clears throat> yeah, wasn't it, it was, and and yeah. and th- that was that was the thing um yeah. th- did you know that this is the second adaptation of the born identity wasn't the one in the 80s involving yeah. do you know richard, who's... richard chamberlain yes yeah, so you, right? you think matt damon was yeah, a, yeah, was a was casting choice yeah i can't imagine <laughs> also I, I remember there. buying the book when the when when i saw the born identity right. movie with matt damon and after about 100 pages, I thought, this is nothing like I, at all. I, I all they, they really share bought was the concept of the oh, okay. guy who loses his memory, I think. I don't even I don't even know why they bothered. Right. They got the brand, I suppose, the Bourne brand. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. There you go. Oh, well. um, so, yeah. w- w- your favourite Bourne film? Favourite Bourne film or Bourne yeah. film, did you Bourne say? Bourne film. Oh, was it Supremacy? I thought it was pretty pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, I think that was the yeah. second one, wasn't it? And, and that was, was, that was yeah. probably, yeah, arguably. Yeah, it was quite, quite witty. Yeah. I think the first three all really were really part good. of a, yeah. you know, they really worked well as a, as a trilogy. They did. Um, I even like the Jeremy Renner one, which mm. was directed by the guy who wrote the originals, and it didn't go down well with many people. But I liked it, and I liked the fact there was a bit more plot in it, and uh, I thought Renner was good, Rachel Feist was yeah. in it again, she's always good, but it didn't go I'm down in the minority, well. you know, it, it I, I go down very well with me. Because it was rubbish, yeah. that's why. Yeah, all right then, okay. Because it happened simultaneously <laughs> to the events of the third film, and on occasions you saw a TV in the background with the news on showing oh, yes, that's what true, was yeah. going on in the third yeah. movie. And all I could think while watching this was, I wish I was watching that one, not this one. <laughs> it just kept, thought, Don't keep yeah. reminding me of the other one, because that's yeah. way better. I know it's controversial to like that one, but what can you do? I think one of my favourites, I'm torn between either Born Free or Born on the Fourth of July. I thought those were... Yeah, those were odd diversions on the franchise, I thought. Lions. Yeah. And then the wheelchair thing, yeah. yeah, all very confusing. But hey, there you go. Every, every time a Bourne film is mentioned, I use the same joke, and I will for, for, for time immemorial. I okay. always teed up for you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Monday the fifth of July. The Bourne Identity, eight pm on ITV four. Uh, let's move to Tuesday the sixth of July. And yeah. uh, now this one's on in the wee small hours of the morning, so it's ten. So it's ten pm yeah. on Wednesday, but it is a Tuesday movie. <coughs> One twenty-five am again on ITV four. They're on a roll because I, I I ended up with them three nights running, and I'll, yeah. I'll come to the third in a minute but the second night they've gone for another classic um, Lethal Weapon and it's the first one before they got kind of comedic and a little bit daft so if you remember this stars Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs and it's got Danny Glover as Sergeant Murtaugh his partner <clears throat> Danny Glover is not happy he's close to retirement it's the usual cop cliche got two weeks to, to go or, yeah um, he was I, too old for this stuff I think that's what bit. he said he was a bit he was too old for this stuff exactly yeah. what he said I'm sure um so he gets his new partner, uh, Martin Riggs, who is a traumatised and suicidal ex-Special Forces guy. And he's in a bad way because his wife died. And so he's not really caring whether he lives or dies. And as, as, I, you know, as a teenager, I thought it was quite funny when I first saw this movie. But when, when, when I'm more or less heading toward the Danny Glover age now, I'm like, yeah, I'm with Danny. You know, the other Danny thinking, I, yeah, I wouldn't really want him as a partner either. 
because he does very dangerous things but he's obviously he's got skills and he's he does clever stuff and uh, he's very tough and uh they eventually do bond a little but what's what's pretty good about this is that the plot actually revolves around Danny Glover's old army buddies and it drags in his family and we see we, we care about the characters a bit more than normal for these buddy movies because we see Murtagh's uh, family and his daughter and his wife and the son and what have you and, uh, and, and Mel Gibson his character is invited around a couple of times because he lives in a he lives in a uh, basically a caravan with his dog I think that's uh, he's the only person in his life left is his dog um, but th- they are endearing partners effectively and there's quite a lot of um, fun involved and you know but there's also lots of action and it's not too gritty I think anyone could sit through this without feeling too traumatised by the on screen violence and yeah it was just a very good movie I thought yeah the classic scenes in it I would say one of the best buddy cop movies ever yes I'd go along with that to- totally I say one of the best because I think Lethal Weapon 2 is arguably better oh yeah it is good that's the one with Patsy Kenzie in it yeah it? That's because I felt too, with yeah. that they yeah. had a good balance because Lethal Weapon's quite dark with Lethal Weapon yes. 2 I think they used the humour quite well to mm. to soften some of the darkness in it because some of it again was quite dark that and was brutal. dark actually yes yeah, some of the because the the South African villains were quite uh, evil in that one, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, from yeah. memory. Um, and but you're right; they're both good. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. But I think it's one of those examples when they talk about a sequel that that perhaps surpassed the original. Right. I think Lethal Weapon Two is there alongside The Godfather Two. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I love these films. Did you watch or did you happen to watch the recent TV adaptation of I Lethal didn't. Weapon? I think it because I, I do pay for some streaming stuff, but I don't. But it was on ITV. I was old in that case, then I can't. I have no excuse. Maybe just because I don't watch terrestrial <laughs> telly much these days. I either do the Netflix thing or yeah. I do the prehistoric. Oh, I found an old DVD in a charity store. I'll watch that. So, watching live TV never seems to be actually happening for me these days. So was a, it good? Uh, well, so I'm a huge fan of the Lethal Weapon films. I even, right. you know, even the lesser Lethal Weapon films, I still love them. And I, I thought, I don't know why they've done this. You know, I, and and there's been rumours for years of a Lethal Weapon five that might come out one day. And so I thought, don't go and recast it and you know do it. You know, like they do. With Surely so Riggs many. will be at retirement age by this stage. Well, be, you know, long since. Long since. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they did it. And in no time at all, I was hooked. Oh, right. uh, but the, the, they they captured the spiritual essence of the films. But what right. they did, what they built upon, was his sort of mental health troubles. Oh, okay. And you really <clears throat> saw this tortured soul, and they dragged it out, dragged it out. But they they expanded upon it so much more than they oh. than, than they would have had time to in a two-hour movie. It's interesting because now we talk about mental health a lot. But when Mel Gibson was losing. The plot, as it were, in Lethal yeah. Weapon, very convincingly, he's a very good actor. Yeah, for, for all of his off-screen persona, yeah. is at least very least mixed. Yeah, in terms of the way you'd view him, he can act, and he and he instead of just dialing it in, when it, which he could have done in a thriller like that, he actually acts really well in it. I think he loses well, his mind at times yeah. and the, very the, there is a very moving scene quite early in the movie where he's contemplating suicide yes. and he's sat there watching TV with a gun, with a gun and he yes. puts it in his mouth and then he cries and he hears something yeah. on TV and it pulls him out of his, his his depression and apparently he couldn't film that scene for such a long time and they kept Ooh. the set and 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 he just said like he just said to the director you know look can you give me time? Can we like shoot the rest of the movie? And at some point, I'll just say, Let, let's do it. Yeah. And apparently he did. And it, right toward the end of the thing, he one day said, like in the lunchtime, he goes, let's do it now. And they quickly put the set up. He got in there and they did it. And uh, Oh, and he did a good job. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very moving uh, bit in the in the film. So it aside is. from all the high octane 80s action yeah. extravaganza of the movie, it's got some real depth and well, resonance yeah, yeah, to it. You, so you actually end up caring about the characters, you know, whether it's Danny Glover or the or the one who plays his daughter because she gets kidnapped at one point, yeah, or or Martin Riggs himself, yeah. And also the the way that all, throughout the the four films they kept the continuity. It was the same actors playing Murtagh's children who were children in the first movie uh-huh. and were adults by the fourth one, and and all the supporting cast, some of the cops in the background and people who didn't even have names it was all the same people all the way through and apparently it was it was largely the same crew made all four films so wow. the same directors cameramen and, and all sorts the Lethal Weapon cinematic universe yeah the early franchise that was well, yeah, the weapon yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but <coughs> you know great great uh, movies if you like that sort of thing, yes. Um, so you know, if you like your, your your kind of buddy cop movie, '80s extravaganzas and mullets are plenty. Lethal oh, yes. Weapons for you. Yeah, uh, that's that's Tuesday's choice. That's one twenty-five a.m. on ITV4. Uh, technically into the wee small hours of, of Wednesday. Yeah. 
not splitting hairs with that. I'd hate for people to turn up to watch a movie 24 hours before it was on. Mm, so that's a good that, point. That, that's why we point yeah. that out. Right. But my word, you, you go from one, one classic to another, don't you? I know. Um, I've, I've dug out some good ones, I think. Wednesday, so. 7th of July, 10.05pm, yeah. ITV4. Tell us about the classic you have chosen. The Untouchables. Brian De Palma's classic movie about bringing down Al Capone, as played by Robert De Niro. Um, Kevin Costner, it was the movie that made him a, a megastar. He plays Elliot Ness in this. Okay, it's heavily fictionalised, but hey, so what? It's still really, really good. Um, supported cast of Andy Garcia and Sean Connery won an Oscar playing an Irish cop, even though he delivered every line with his usual Scottish accent, but never mind. Did you feel um, that, that he got that Oscar more because he probably should have got one somewhere in his career, so they gave it to him Yeah, then? more than likely. I mean, they, they, they do have a sort of career Oscar, don't they? But they seem to often award it for the guy. It's his turn. He's, you know, well, he's, it was said about John Wayne. John Wayne won an Oscar, I think, for True Grit. True Grit, yes. Yet a lot of people feel that was by no means his finest performance mm. but it was at the point where the Oscars felt you know what we haven't given him an Oscar yet and I have to say I don't I mean, whether you like John Wynne or not I wouldn't say he was very variable in his acting it was no. usually the same sort of guy wasn't it that he played not, every time not you know? dissimilar to Sean Connery yeah exactly um, but you know he is good in it but if they just somehow written a way that he could be Scottish in it that would have been, made it a bit better but rather like I suppose rather like Michael Caine in Get Carter the accent doesn't fit, but it doesn't matter too much. Yeah. And I speak as somebody who should care whether Michael Caine speaks in a Geordie accent or not in um, Get Carter, but it almost doesn't matter. Um, the performance is convincing. He has all the all the really good supporting lines, actually. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's... Um, so, basically, Kevin Costner plays this um, crusading cop. He's R- real-life character, wasn't he, as well? Elliot Ness. Uh, yes, he was a real-life real life guy. And he, although he was involved in this work, um, obviously the... Brian De Palma has fictionalised it somewhat and of course Capone was memorably brought down for tax evasion they, they jailed him for that but this is a little bit more um, like a good old fashioned we're going to get him, we're going to find the stuff that he's peddling, we're going to find the ledger that's got all of his transactions on um, to do that we have to you know, risk our lives and kill people and uh, there's some. I mean, there's one scene particularly that everybody tends to remember which is uh, when Kevin Costner is at the railway station and he's waiting for the guy who has the ledger so he can arrest him, but he doesn't turn up. And instead, a woman arrives with a pram and she can't get it up the stairs. So he goes halfway down the stairs to help her drag the pram up. Then the guy arrives, complete with bodyguards, and shooting ensues. The pram starts trundling down the the the, uh, the stairs. Um, how are we going to get out of this one? And it involves a great bit of camera work and set piece work between Kevin Costner, Andy Garcia. Uh, the woman, the baby, the pram. Yeah. Well, I guess there wasn't a baby in the actual pram. Well, let's let's hope they didn't put him at risk. But it's a great scene if you remember it. Yeah, yeah. No, classic. Don't check it out. The, the cinematography in this movie yeah. is, is astounding. The performances, the setting as well, the the, the costumes. That just this is a five yeah. star movie. It Everything is absolutely it. yeah. And, uh, uh, and also great early performance from Andy Garcia. Yes, he was really charismatic in that. I thought, and it. it I, I, it's the one that kind of launched him I mean he was probably in lots of things I know he was in um, gangster movies before I'd seen him in other things but I would say this is the one that propelled him yeah and he started getting leading man roles because he did that. The Godfather Part 3 but that was a couple of years that after this was a little this. bit later yeah. he's the best thing in The Godfather Part 3 I think yeah. in ter- certainly in terms of performance and, yeah uh, well so you you've know. got Sophia uh, Coppola proving that w- how far you can get when, when your yeah. daddy's a director I know she got an awful lot of flack for that and uh, bounced back as a director later but, well you know. yeah sh- showing in front of the camera how really she should be behind one because yeah. she's done yeah. some great movies as a director yeah, Lost in Translation was wonderful yeah I mean she had kind of mixed directorial CV I think she did that Marie Antoinette thing as well and that was really weird oh I've not seen that so I've read Antonia Fraser's book and she bought that and all I can imagine is Antonia Fraser probably just went to the bank and went well I've got the cheque at least but the yeah. movie was all over the place there was modern music in it and strange accents and it was all very odd see sometimes that so, works yeah. and sometimes it doesn't yeah in this case I really don't think it did yeah. but anyway but thankfully they don't do that with the untouchables it's very yeah, it's, it's very, very authentic time. Yeah. yeah it's really really good and uh, yeah wonderful <coughs> wonderful uh, so film there the third in a row from ITV4 who were on a roll that yeah, one. yeah. Um, and that's uh, Wednesday the 7th of July 10.05pm on ITV4 yes. the untouchables we move to your final film <coughs> and my yes. word you are just building up I know, it's a cracker. Because you'd think, like, you, you go, I mean, I'm just looking at your last three, and I'm yeah. thinking you can't really top those, but you've yeah. gone and done so it. So we've got Born Identity, Lethal Weapon, The Untouchables, and then Thursday, 8th of July, Heat, at 9pm on TCM. Mm. And it's uh, Michael Mann directing. <coughs> the, he's, got, he's got Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. 
not in a movie together for the first time, but in scenes together for the first time, because in The Godfather 2, they don't actually interact. So, you know, you get people saying, oh, they've done things before. They've done things since that haven't been all that successful, but they are really good in this. <clears throat> De Niro plays basically the leader of a safe-cracking, bank-robbing, and, um, you know, armed van-busting crew, pulling off heists. Pacino kind of knows that he's the man, but he can't prove it or bring him down. He's determined to do so because he's a, a, a lieutenant, as they say in, in America, in the, the police, and he's a former army guy. Um, so uh, hence the, the, the shootouts look quite authentic later on because um, they were actually... Um, oh, sorry, the supporting cast also includes Val Kilmer and John Voight, who both play really good roles in it. And there's a lot of um, backstory, so you get to know Al Pacino's life in this. You get to understand Robert De Niro's, who famously says, you know, don't leave, don't have anything you can't turn your back on and just leave at, at a moment's notice because he lives in this minimalist world where he knows he may have to flee at any moment. And that can include people as well as, as possessions. And, um, yeah, they, um, there's, there's big shootouts in the middle of the street, that, that, like a set-piece thing, but there's also... It's not all about shooting and killing people. It's also about the relationships. Val Kilmer um, has a, a marriage that he, if he goes back to the girl, he'll get arrested. And uh, famously says the sun rises and sets with her, so he doesn't know what he's going to do and how he can do this. And, you know, he can lose his uh, family or go to prison and keep the family. So it, there's all sorts going on in this one. <clears throat> it looks fantastic. Uh, it's very clever. There's some very good lines. And the scenes with De Niro and Pacino and the coffee... Uh, when they, when they, Pacino basically pulls him over to have a coffee with him at one point <clears throat> and discuss, you know, well, I'll take you down at a moment's notice. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of like duel in a way as actors, but also as characters. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, the, the way that they, um, yeah, because they, they kind of recognise in a way that they are mirror images of each other, but yeah. one's a cop and one's <clears throat> a robber. Two sides of the same coin in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but it works so well. And... Um, one of the things as well that, that is, is quite impressive about this is this is actually a remake, isn't it? Yes, of an it is. earlier Elliot movie Tickdown, yeah. by Michael Mann that was a <coughs> yeah. TV movie, but was in essence the same story, yeah. wasn't it? He thought that was going to be a pilot to launch a series, apparently, and it didn't get taken up. And then he just re, well, rewrote it and recast it and reshot it. So, yeah, but it's, it doesn't look like something he just dusted off. It's no. a really, really good movie. And uh, Michael Mann, um, for those who, I mean, you know, it's quite a career since. You know, he yeah. did uh, Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> with, Last of the Mohicans is a Day fabulous Day. movie, yeah, really good. But also the guy who created Miami Vice. You know. Oh yes, of course he did. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and very yeah. much, and, and and this has something of a visual style that's not dissimilar to Miami Vice. It's not yeah. quite the same at all, but but you could see it. It has there. a look to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And he also did arguably the best Hannibal Lecter film. Um, he, he did uh, Manhunter in the mid eighties. Yes, that's really good as well. Um, yeah, which yeah. which does have very much of a Miami Vice style look to mm. it. Um, that's all with Brian Cox's. That's it, um, Hannibal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, really, really good in it. Yeah, yeah the very yeah. first movie that they ever did featuring Hannibal Lecter, and yeah, Brian Cox, and it was it was sort of forgotten all about really, and then was, when Silence yeah. of the Lambs yeah. did rather well, they brought it back out again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but anyway, that's that's your final film. That's it on is. Turner Classic Movies, TCM. So you'll have to. It, you, I don't think that one's on Freeview, but you will find if you've got Sky or if you've got um, Virgin. Oh, you'll I be thought able it was on Freeview. My the, apologies. I the, thought I didn't really have to pay for that one. But it's on. Um, yeah, you see, because when you're when you're a successful author, you'd have to pay for these well, things. They I've give got, them to you. I've got Free Sat. I think I thought that was the same as Freeview, but maybe not. Um, and I think anyway, it I could, might not it, be able to access it myself. I may have thrown you a. A red herring in It there. says in on my, my screen here, it is on Sky, Virgin, and BT. So ah, people might well be able to get to that um, if they've got access to one of those things. But it's Thursday, uh, the 8th of July, and it's on at 9 p.m. Uh, but it's a long one, so make sure you go to the loo beforehand. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's Heat, the, the, the classic movie, finishing off uh, Howard's uh, choice of films. Look at the description. Um, look in the episode description right now to see those uh, films that Howard has chosen, along with um, the uh, the film that was too good to be forgotten. Um, Howard's choice this time around: Stage Beauty. Next week it is the turn of Chris Aikman and Sam Rolfe uh, in the in the hot seats for the film guide. But Howard, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, mate. It's been and a pleasure. We'll do this all over again in around about a month. Definitely. <laughs>